Blog Talk Radio. I was looking lost, but you see that I am found. Got my Bible in my hand, cast demons to the ground. Now it's time for me to influence the people I'm around. We on Christ's side now, guarantee it's going down. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, and thank you for joining another episode of the Ask Kashab Show. Today's topic, mortality management. Wanted to thank you for joining me and also let you know to call in 424-220-1850 throughout our show as we cover this topic, um, pretty intense topic and important uh, for both um, believers and non-believers, at least to hear, um, and also important for the members of the the law-keeping community, uh, biblical law-keeping community, as well as for members of the exempt from law community, um, free through grace. I wanted to read a blog that was written uh, last year um, on the topic. I want to open with that. The blog goes, if you've been anywhere near the United Nations building in New York City, you might have seen what you thought was an illegally parked car near a fire hydrant. Typically, this offense warrants a ticket well above $100 in New York. But if you've heard or if you've seen uh, the red, white, and blue diplomatic plate on the vehicle, you pretty much get a pass. Ambassadors of other countries come to the United States and receive an above-the-law treatment. This luxury exceeds the treatment of even the citizens of the United States. The sovereign, self-ruled governments of other countries which are part of the United Nations, which is actually the former Treaty of Nations, they make their own laws and can by this right grant immunity to their representatives. This same luxury belongs to the ambassadors of heaven who are governed by a spiritual constitution and in the world as representatives of Christ. Ambassadors of heaven are exempt from the carnal ordinances, although these laws do exist for discipline and order, Ambassadors have direct orders to defend, uphold, and protect the constitution of the sovereign government, which is God's throne, if we are called as representatives, if we were called as representatives of the United States, we would do it with great pride, honor, and dignity. For Christ, we should represent with even more glory and honor. So just as the diplomatic status within nations is applicable or not applicable, to everyone, the same uh, diplomatic status exists within the world now for the children of God. The diplomats of heaven are selected um, or actually elected, not selected by man. The purpose of the ambassadorship is to reconcile the sons and daughters of God back to the heavenly order. So we know that God is a spirit. And we know that they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. But we know also that we're in flesh. Matter of fact, when confronted with sin or confronted with doing wrong, what do we say? Oh, I'm only human. Okay? That's really no excuse. If you're a spiritual human, you should have no even desire to sin. So let's take a look at a couple of the scriptures uh, that will lead us into this mortality management topic and what, in fact, 
is uh, mortality management and why is it necessary to bring this topic out? We're going to start with 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. And it says here, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God, who has reconciled to us to himself by Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. To wit, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and have committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be you reconciled to God. For he has made him to be sin for us who knew not sin, that we might be the righteousness of God in him. So there's a lot that's been said here in 2 Corinthians 5, 17 to 21. The summary of it is that through Christ, the sons of God have been reconciled, and daughters of God have been reconciled back to God. That's what we call the atonement. Now, there's a legal, lawful way of doing the atonement. You can find that in Deuteronomy and also it mentions it in Hebrews about the atonement, which is the same, the word, if you break it up, it means at one with God because there has been a disconnection between God and man. What is the disconnection? We're in the flesh. He's in the spirit. There's a disconnection there because in order for us to serve him, we have to serve him in spirit. You can't serve him in flesh. The scriptures tell you in Galatians, are you so foolish having begun in the spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh? So there's no perfect servant of God in the flesh because he requires service in spirit and in truth. We'll get more into that a little bit later on in our discussion. So this reconciliation and the definition of reconcile is to reestablish a close relationship between or to settle or to resolve. Where's the disconnect? The disconnect between God and man we can find in Genesis chapter 6. And Genesis chapter 6 speaks about when the sons of God disconnected from the Most High. And I know it goes a little further back, and I'll cover that as well. But this particular area, Genesis chapter 6, speaks about when the sons of God decided to have relations with the daughters of men. Genesis 6 and 1, it says, And it came to pass, when men began to multiply in the face of the earth, and daughters were born unto them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were fair. And they took them wise of all which they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he is flesh, and yet his days 
shall be 120 years. So this was the beginning of man's mortality because the limitation was set that the maximum lifespan he will live was 120 years. Prior to that limitation, man was made to be immortal. We've covered that in our previous discussions. You can check the Sons of God uh, discussion. You can check the resurrection of the dead. And then you could also check the Sons of God and resurrection of the, of the dead compiled, which talks a little bit more in depth about the transition that we've made from being immortal beings to mortal beings. So right now we're mortal beings and mortal beings trying to serve God in spirit and truth when the disconnection has been set. The other disconnection can be found in Genesis when Adam and Eve transgressed, as also covered before in the previous discussions. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 21, this is when they were first given the coats of skin, the first level of limitation. Having coats of skins was not a good thing for an immortal, okay? This is the punishment, Genesis 3.21. Unto Adam also, unto his wife, did the Lord God make coats of skin and clothe them. And so the coats of skin means limitation because what happens to skin? It ages. And once it ages, it deteriorates, and the spirit that's in man has to go back to the Father because it cannot stay in a body that is deteriorating. So the reconciliation... Definition again, reconciliation is defined as to reestablish a close relationship between, to settle or resolve. So Christ, as he read in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17 to 21, reconciled the children of God back to God, verse 19, to wit that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses onto them and have committed onto us the word of reconciliation. So when the word is being taught now, the word needs to be taught as reconciliation between God and the sons and daughters of God because of the disconnect. When the word is being taught that the way back to God is to keep the law that's only part of the discussion because keeping the law helps you to manage your flesh, but keep the law, which came over a thousand years after the uh, disconnect, is not the perfection that he was talking about. The perfection that he was talking about is for you to get back on a spiritual level with your maker so you can serve him in spirit and in truth. Okay? So if we've just read in 2 Corinthians 5.19, God was in Christ reconciling unto himself by Jesus Christ, the Messiah, Christ, was that source of redemption, a.k.a. the true lamb that would make peace between the father and his sons and daughters. By what? A new and living way. And this is written in Hebrews 10 and, and 20. This new and living way. And so if this is a new and living way, that means that the way prior was the way of the dead, 
Because if it's new and living, that means the other one is old and dead. And so we'll cover what it means uh, about the new and living way in comparison to the dead and old way a little later on if we have the time. Now in Romans chapter 3 verse 21, it says, But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested being witnessed by the law and the prophets. What does it mean, the righteousness of God without the law? For example, the Ten Commandments is also the law. Honor thy mother and father. Does that mean that you don't have to honor your mother and father? No, that's not what it means. It means that when you're born of God and you're reconciled to God and you're in the spirit of God, you automatically know to honor your mother and father. You automatically know how your conduct is supposed to be. And when your conduct is not up to par, you automatically feel that disconnection. That's where the guilt comes in. The guilt comes in when you feel the disappointment and disconnection between you and your maker. Whether someone sees you or not, the disconnection is where you feel the guilt and the need for repentance. But if you feel the disconnection... Say you were living in ancient times between you and God and you went and took a lamb and you sacrificed the lamb and think that that lamb made the reconnection. Concerning your conscience, there may still be that disconnection, especially if you continue to do the same thing that you try to reconcile for. Okay? So it's not necessarily about the act of the sacrifice, but it's about the answering of a pure conscience towards God that you really are done with whatever it is that made you disconnect from him. So Romans 3.21 again, it says, but now the righteousness of God, not the righteousness of man, because the righteousness of man is called a show. It's called a vain glory. It's called acting. The righteousness of God is something that is uh, bigger than any eye can see as far as people that you're showboating. And it's really sincerity and integrity. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believed, or there's no difference. So we have within uh, the um, belief of the Jews that God is only dealing with the Jews and it doesn't really matter as far as anyone else is concerned. Well, that's not true because here it says, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe, for there's no difference. Because if we go back to the father of faith, the father of faith, Abraham, was a Hebrew, but he wasn't a Jew. He was a Hebrew, but he was the father, the great-great-grandfather of the Jews, the great-great-grandfather of Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel, and from Israel came the tribe of Judah, which is where they have the abbreviation of the term Jew. But prior to Judah, Israel, and the law uh uh, that was given to Moses and to the children of Israel, there was righteousness of God, and we can see that 
through the father Abraham in his faith. Romans 3.21 again says, For all have sinned and have come short of the glory of God. All. Jew, Gentile, all. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So again, here we go with Christ being almost that gateway to open up the reconciliation. Romans 3.25 again says, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood. When you look up that word propitiation, P-R-O-P-I-T-I-A-T-I-O-N, it means atonement. So Christ is the atonement, which is the one that makes you at one again with your maker to create a, a bond where there was a disconnect. Romans 3.25 again, for whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remissions of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. To wit, I say, at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believe in Jesus. So you have those that are self-justified through law, and then you have those that are justified by God through the reconciliation, making peace again. Which one is more just? Let's look up the definition of justify. By definition, justify means to demonstrate or prove to be just, right, or valid. So you can justify yourself, but the justification of God is different than the justification of man. For example, the law, if you follow the law, the Ten Commandments and every other law, you may feel justified because in your eyes and in the eyes of your cohorts, you are the most righteous person they know because you keep the law to the teeth. But so how does that affect Galatians 3 and 3 when it says, Are you so foolish, having begun in the spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh? Well, as long as you're in the flesh and under that punishment that was issued to Adam and Eve of um, having coats of skin put on them, on the sons of God having a human limitation of time, although you're keeping the law, you are still in flesh and you're still subject to the 120-year uh, lifespan. So you're just amongst men for the maximum of 120 years while in the flesh, but before God, you're a mortal man that will die. Because self-justification isn't the standard. Again, the definition of justify is to demonstrate or prove to be just, right, or valid. Second definition, to declare free of blame. Absolute. So, I'm sorry, absolve. To, be, to declare free of blame. Can you free yourself from blame? Absolutely not. You cannot pardon yourself. 
You cannot free yourself from jail. So although you're keeping the law while in the prison of the flesh, that's good. That's good management of mortality. But there's more. You have to be freed from the jail of the flesh. And so who created that outlet? Christ. And he's created that open door to justify you when you yourself are condemned because you cannot perfectly keep the law of God. It says if you transgress in one thing, you've transgressed all. So the justification of the law is not the justification of God. Now, am I saying you don't keep the law? Absolutely not. As the scriptures say, you establish the law. It is the standard for you to know and gauge yourself, but it does not justify or make you righteous concerning the spiritual service that you need to do to God. That's why it's called mortality management. Another definition of justify means to free a human of the guilt and penalty attached to grievous sin. So technically, when you say I'm only human because you've sinned and God understands that I can't keep that particular law or I can't keep this particular law, you should actually be punished, but you've been pardoned. Meaning that even through the law that you keep, you still are guilty in transgressing some of it. It goes on to say, again, Christ as this gateway in John chapter 2, 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. It says, my little children, these things write I unto you that you sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is the propitiation of our sins. And not ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. So he is the redemption and the justifier when you sin before God to offer a pardon because he has abolished uh, sin by conquering the devil, showing you how you can abolish sin. Okay? So when you read, for example, in 1 Corinthians 15, it speaks about the sting of death. And say the sting, say Satan is a scorpion, what Christ did is he cut the stinger off. So the scorpion may try to sting you, may try to accuse you, but he's saying, I'm not accepting any accusations against these. Is that talking to the whole entire world, that he's not accepting any accusations? No, he's talking to those that believe, those that are the sons and daughters of God. Those are the ones that are exempt, not everyone. So the purpose of this message is not to justify the sinner and those that are presumptuous in sin, but spoken in a mystery for those who have an ear to hear, specifically the sons and daughters of God to reconcile them back to the Father. This election, in other words, you can't select yourself, but you have to be amongst the elect. This election is from the foundation of the earth when the earth was first created. And this is given to, the, to them uh, to those diplomats that have that status with God, okay? And therefore, the immunity and justification of the Father to those diplomats stand, just like diplomatic immunity stands for uh, uh, ambassadors from other countries 
that they cannot be ticketed if they come to the United States because they're not under the laws of uh, the United States. They're under the laws of their own country. So they have exemption from the laws and the penalties that come. So likewise, the ambassadors of heaven, the ambassadors of Christ, are exempt by him and justified by him um, when man may accuse them. This is found in Romans 8.29. It says, For whom he did foreknow, he also predestinated to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn amongst brethren. So if you're predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ, that's showing you that you are an ambassador of Christ if that's predestined. If you're not, then you're not. You cannot make yourself predestined. Romans 8.30 says, Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. So the justification doesn't come from self. The justification comes from predestination. And if you're predestined, then nothing can stop uh, you receiving what you're supposed to receive, not even sin, not even accusation by man, not even what seems to be sin by man. Just like the guy that pulls over by the fire hydrant that has a diplomatic place may seem to you that he should get a ticket the way that it is, he won't. And if he does, he could ignore it. Therefore, justification is for the predestined. It makes sense because if your destiny is to be like Christ, nothing should be able to get in the way, not even the accusations of sin. Now, these are the people that he called perfect or called onto perfection. Not perfection in the way that man views perfection, but perfection in the way that God looks at it, which is integrity and a pure heart and righteousness because he put it in you. Now, here's some examples of the perfection. Now, let's look at this. Noah was one of those that was called perfect. You know how they say, nobody's perfect? There are people that are perfect. The people that are perfect are those that are elected to be conformed to the image of Christ. It has nothing to do with what you do. It has to do with who you are in God's eye. It has nothing to do with what someone else accuses you of. It has to do with what he calls you to be. Can you call yourself? No. So let's take a look at some of the perfect men. And for the sisters, um, I'm sure they're perfect ladies, but I'm just using four or five examples here. So again, don't feel left out. Um, I'm speaking of mankind, and I'm speaking of the sons and daughters of God. Okay, so whatever applies to the men of God applies also to the women. This is Genesis 6 and 9. It says, these are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just and perfect man in his generation. And Noah walked with God. That's an example of perfect. We don't even know what Noah did. What did he do? He was obedient. He was told to build the ark. He built it. There's another example of Abraham. Abraham, Genesis 17 and 1, it says, And when Abraham was 90 years old and 99-year-old man, the Lord appeared to Abraham and said unto him, I am the Almighty God. Walk before me and be thou perfect. So some would say, well, no one is perfect. But there are 
some that are perfect. It says Noah was. Okay. Does this mean that this man never did anything wrong? Okay. No. That's why it's not based on how man views perfection. Perfection is synonymous with election. Okay. Here's another example. This is uh, Job. Job 1 and 8. It says, And the Lord said unto Satan, Has thou considered my servant Job? Because he wanted Satan to test Job. Have thou considered my servant Job that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil? There's another perfect man. You read on in Job, you see Job was saying all kinds of things when he was afflicted. He was saying all kinds of things to where Christ had to step to him. Job 38. And ask him, hey, you saying words without understanding. But does that mean he wasn't a perfect man? He was a perfect man in the sight of God because of his integrity, how he operated. Also, King David. This is a, a an interesting one because we know that King David did things that um, some of us would get put to death for. This is 1 Kings 11 and 4. For it came to pass when Solomon was old. Remember, Solomon was the son of David, so David was already dead. When Solomon was old, that his wives turned his heart after other gods. And his heart was not perfect with the Lord, his God, as was the heart of David, his father. He's saying that David had a perfect heart. Now, we know David was not perfect according to man's standard because he murdered Uriah the Hittite. He killed by sending him, um, he murdered Uriah the Hittite by sending him on the front line. King David killed because he was a man of war. He committed adultery because he laid with Uriah's wife and had a child, or, uh, well, the first child, he, he got, she got pregnant and the child died. And then the second child was King Solomon. And many would say today because he was monogamous, he was not monogamous, that he was not perfect. Some would say that. But even after his death, he was considered perfect because of his relationship with God. And this is what is meant when it's spoken about the man of God. Uh, when David spoke about the man of God, that God will not impute sin, he's saying you might do sin, but he will not hold you accountable. Not imputed sin is something that is between him and whomever he chooses to not impute sin. But in the sight of man, they'll accuse you left and right. They might even stone you. They might even kill you. But the standard of God is different from the standard of man. And to reference what King David was speaking about when he said, unto whom uh, God will not impute sin, that's found in Romans 4 and 5. It says, but to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly. See, you got to first recognize to yourself that you're ungodly. Because if you recognize to yourself that you are godly, then you don't need God's exemption. And you don't need God's justification. You're good. Because you keep all the laws. You read and study. You feed the homeless. You talk to strangers. You deal with the fatherless and widows. But if you're not predestined, all of that is vain. Vain glory, self-justification, pat yourself on the back. But if you're not predestined, you're guilty anytime you do anything wrong. 
Romans 4 and 5, but to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justified the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Even as David also described the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputeth righteousness without works. Not with works. But God says, hey, him, don't worry about him. Yeah, I know, I, I know what you see, but that's one of my sons or my daughters. I got a plan for him. But you're saying, ooh, but look at King David. He slept with Uriah. You know, let's kill him. That's how they were back then. That's how they are today. Some people may ask you, so uh, when's the last time you've been to church? Oh, I don't go to church. Mm. That's their response. Because why? They figured if you ain't going to church, you're unrighteous. You're wicked. They're righteous because they're in church every Sunday. So it's not the ones that justify themselves. Let's continue. Romans 4 and 6, even as David also described the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputed righteousness without work, saying, blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. That's a blessed man. To whom the Lord will not impute sin. That means you might have done it, but he's saying... Don't worry about it. You pardon. Just, just stop doing that. Now, if you're a uh, um, chain sinner, if that's what you do, you just a sinner. You just you might not be justified because truly, if you're in God, you don't even have the desire to sin. Sin has to creep up on you and catch you off guard. But you're not going to deliberately enter into sin and then pull the uh, predestined card because the predestined don't even want to disappoint their maker. They don't want to stay disconnected from their king. They're trying to get back in his good graces. Okay. Again, it tells you in Second Timothy chapter one and eighteen, uh, one and eight. It says, "Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner." But be thou partakers of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace which was given us in Jesus Christ before the world began, but is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who has abolished death, and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. The gospel was the gateway to bring life and immortality to life. Prior to that, it was mortality and death before Christ. So he brought this life to life, which is really showing you how to get back into the spirit and so you can serve your maker. In spirit and in truth. Prior to that, if you think that the maker is impressed with your Sabbath day celebration, if you think that the king is impressed with your holy garments, if you think that the king is impressed with your Ten Commandment keeping, whatever you think he's impressed with, you're still in the flesh. And so you cannot, it says flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. And so you cannot serve him in flesh. You got to serve in spirit and truth. And we're going to get more into, well, so what does the law mean? So 
Again, Second Timothy's one and ten, but it is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Now, prior to this gospel of life and immortality, death reigned, and therefore, with death, it was necessary that a law be added to protect the children of Israel or the woman as is spoken about in the scriptures. Because the seed, the immortal seed that needed to be brought forth, which is Christ, had to be brought forth. So if Christ was predestined to be the seed of David, as it is written, to come and the woman, a.k.a. the children of Israel, whom the seed was to come, wasn't under attack by the devil. If the if if he was if he didn't come, he wouldn't be able to bring the immortality to life. So that was part of the challenge why the children of Israel was uh filled with so much grievous sin because they were given the chosen position and so because they were given the chosen position naturally the uh invisible forces and principalities of evil will attack that woman because that uh, evil uh, side doesn't want to see the birth of immortality because the birth of immortality means the death of sin. It means the death of mortality. And Satan is not going to just allow that to happen without a fight. That's why when you read in Revelations 12, and three, it says, And there appeared another wonder in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon his head. And his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven and did cast them to the ground. When it says his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven, that's the children of Israel. And that explains why when the Greeks came into power under Alexander and Antiochus, they were trying to destroy the people because about a couple hundred years after, a few hundred years after, there was going to be the birth of the deliverer. The deliverer from what? The deliverer from death. So they, in the spirit, didn't realize that their vendetta against the children of God, their vendetta was to try to destroy the birth of Christ because he was bringing the immortality to life. And he was going to be the end of the death sentence or spell that's on the whole planet. So why not try to destroy the woman and why not try to destroy him? So it says in his tail, Roman Revelations 12 and 4, and his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven and did cast them to the ground, to the earth. And the dragon saw, and the dragon stood before the woman which was ready to be delivered for to devour her child as soon as it was born. So the devil or the dragon wanted to destroy the children of the Most High because the children of the Most High was the vessel by whom the Son of God, the first Son of God, Christ, was going to be born into the earth, and he was coming to get the victory over death and to bring immortality to life. Prior to him doing that, death reigned. And that we covered before, but I'll refresh your memory. 
in case you weren't there for that discussion, Romans chapter 5, verse 13 and 14. It says, for until the law, sin was in the world. But sin is not imputed where there is no law. Sin can't be pardoned or overlooked where there's no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that have not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. So death reigned means Satan reigned from Adam's time when he defeated Adam and tricked him into uh, becoming a mortal and having coats of skin put, put on him and tricked Adam's generation by having them lay with the daughters of men. They were so fair. And so they now received, um, and, and, and even in our generation, the sentence of a temporary life, 120-year max. We received the sentence of a, of, a, of a temporary life, and Christ came and defeated the devil and said, ain't no more temporary life. There's eternal life, or at least access to eternal life. So what was the law put in? The law was put in to help manage, help manage the flesh until the flesh can receive its immortal body. So it was put in so that you don't destroy yourself. So prior to this gospel of life and immortality, death reigned, and therefore with death it was necessary that the law was added to protect the woman. That's who the woman is. The woman represents the seed of the Most High, the children of Israel. And so through that woman, the firstborn child, Christ, defeated the death and showed us how to defeat the death. So a.k.a. the children of Israel, so that the seed of immortality, Christ, could be brought forth. Now, the law was added to protect her, the woman that we read about in Genesis. And so after he was unable to defeat the woman or to defeat the coming of the, of, of the Lord, and, and let's go back to that and just read that one more time. I mean, this is uh, Revelation 12. And his tail drew the third parts of the stars of heaven and did cast them to the ground. And the dragon stood before the woman which was ready to be delivered for to devour her child as soon as it was born. And we can see the proof of that in Matthew 2, verse 13. And who wanted to destroy the child? Matthew 2, 13. So it shows you how the devil can manifest himself through men, and use men as a tool to fulfill his demonic agenda. And that man that he used in Matthew was Herod. And Herod wanted to destroy Christ. So Matthew's two, Matthew 2, verse 13, it says, And when they were departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise and take the young child and his mother, and flee into Egypt, and be thou there until I bring thee word. For Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. Herod happened to be the arm of the devil that time because he was in power. And so Herod wanted to destroy the child, not that he knew the uh, big picture, 
but he just knew what his agenda was, and he wanted to destroy the child. So Joseph, it says, verse 14, when he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed into Egypt and was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, out of Egypt have I called my son. Okay? So look at what happened when Herod saw that he was mocked. It says that Herod, when he saw that he was mocked, of the wise men were exceedingly wroth and sent forth and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem and in all the coasts thereof from two years old and under. According to the time when he diligently inquired of the wise men. So he figured, let me just kill all the children because if I kill all the children, then I'm going to find the one that is the child that's supposed to bring forth immortality. He didn't know that the child was going to bring forth immortality. He just knew he was mocked. His ego was what was threatened. So he wanted to destroy the firstborn, of the, um, sorry, the males, two years old and younger, so that he can maybe do a sweep and catch the child. That's a satanic mentality. Did he know? Whether he knew or didn't know, the fact is that he was the arm that wanted to destroy the child. Likewise now, if you read Revelations now, thir uh, 12, verse 13, the dragon is still mad because what? The rest of the immortals have to be born. So the devil is so mad that he starts putting things out such as you don't no longer uh, need to keep the law. The law is done away with. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying the law is established for the discipline of the flesh and for mortality management. But the righteousness of God may exempt those that are predestined, but you keep the law for the discipline of your flesh so you don't destroy yourself. For example, there are certain things the law says in Leviticus 11 that you should not eat. Does it mean that because you're predestined, you're going to eat whatever you want? Well, you might shorten your lifespan and jip yourself of that great day where you would be changed from your mortal body into your immortal. You may miss that part of the glory and be in the spirit world and have to come back with the other patriarchs. But why? If you can just eat properly and live a, uh, uh, a life that wouldn't speed up the process of your uh, flesh deterioration. Okay? There's laws that says, honor thy mother and father so that your days may be long upon the land. You disrespect your mother and father, and your father gives you a right hook and knocks you unconscious, and you die. You you uh, defeated the whole purpose of your father bringing you here and gives him a heavy spirit because you forced his hand. And you cut your opportunity for you to be um, transformed from the mortal into the immortal body and receive that glory. Okay? What do you think about that, Amatia? Mafia, are you there? Can you hear you me? You might have your phone muted. Okay, I hear you now. Go ahead. I'm muted because of my background. But um, I was okay. listening while you were speaking, and I, I'm always I'm always constantly thinking about remaining humble. So it's like when you come into this kind of knowledge or this kind of understanding, that's the first thing that crosses my, line, my mind. Okay, I understand this, but I have to remain humble. 
but you brought up the example of King David who sinned. And the question is, you know, and I don't know if I read a scripture on this or if I surmised it, but Christ is not going to lose one of his. The book of life is written from the beginning, so your names are written in that book of life from the beginning. Um, also, the question becomes, do you want to come into the kingdom with a lot of bullet holes or just a few bullet holes? Because when you do sin, as the example with King David, he not only lost his son, he had his son that raped his daughter. He had one son to kill another son. He had one son to have him on the run. All of this because of of the sin as a part of his punishment. So the same applies to us. Even if you are predestined, there's still a question of how you want to come in. Do you want to go through life with much turmoil or with little turmoil? So I keep I use that to keep it balanced and to keep me humble. So I just wanted to, to tie that in with what you were saying. That's right. And thank you for that. Um, now, and she's right. You know, the scriptures tell you that sin is like the the mark of a serpent. You know, if anyone here has ever been bitten, you know, I have a bee sting, a wasp stung me, and you still can see that mark, okay? That mark is an indication of, hey, you've been stung. So if sin is as the, uh, the mark of a serpent, you're going to see the different uh, indications of what people have done. In their life. So if you see a guy, as the mafia brilliantly brought out, with a bunch of bullet holes, and I remember uh, having a discussion one time. Uh, there was a young man, and he was doing some work for me. He was doing some painting, and I was having a discussion with another person, and he kind of chimed in as he overheard our conversation. And the conversation uh, went like this. I said, God knows how to meet you wherever you are. So if you're really stubborn, he knows how to reach a really stubborn person. So if you're a predestined son and he wants you, he's going to take you through whatever to get you and make you come to your senses. So when I made that that comment, the guy said, man, you don't know how true that is, man. You don't know how true that is. And he proceeded to show all the different bullet holes that he had all the different marks that he had from when he was shot and which had brought him to a point to recognize the king. So that was a, a brilliant example um, that was brought out that you could determine how you want to enter into life. Because, yes, you're going to lose this body, but this body may get dragged in uh, to immortality because of disobedience and because of sin and because of being presumptuous against your maker, okay? This reconciliation may not be an easy reconciliation because some of us are stiff-necked and rebellious and hard-headed till the very end, okay? So why the law? Because for some of you, that's why I said they that have an ear to hear, let them hear. For some of you, what you hear may be justification. You may pull the I'm predestined card, so I'm not subject to law. You may pull that. You're going to have some that's going to hear it and say, like Amati brought out, to be very humble and to try to see, well, what is required of me now? Okay? So it depends on your ear what you want to hear. If you want to hear justification, you'll hear it. If you want to hear accountability, you'll hear that. 
For me, it means while in the flesh, make sure that you uh, keep the laws to manage the mortal body, but in the spirit, make sure that you believe and that you're in sync with your maker. That's what it means for me. I don't know what it means for some of you that are listening in. It may be for you a license to sin. You may stop the tape at the part that I say no one can accuse you and go on out and do your wickedness. But I'm not justifying, neither am I endorsing that. So what about the law? So let's go to Galatians chapter 3, verse 19. Let's see, well, okay, so where does the law come in? Galatians 3.19 says, wherefore then serveth the law? Well, what's the purpose of the law? And Paul goes on to say, it was added because of transgressions. The law was added because of transgressions. Because transgressions abounded in the earth because the devil was was reigning. If the devil is reigning, then it's a do-as-thou-wilt type of environment. It's a do-whatever-feels-good because there is no law, even though there was law in people's conscience. But there was no uh, published law. So what's the purpose of the law? It was added because of transgressions till the seed should come to whom the promise was made, which is Christ, which is what we just read. So Christ being that seed, when he came, he showed the real, true, and living way, which is the immortal way to serve God. But before that, before he came, you had the law which was supposed to protect the woman so that he can come forth. So there were forces that wanted to stop that. So the law was added because of transgression, because if not a law to bring back the, the uh, conscience or the accusation against man, the woman, the children of Israel, would have probably been destroyed and that would have uh, stopped the coming of life, which was immortality through Christ. So the law was added because of transgression till the seed should come to whom the promise was made, and it was ordained by angels in the hands of a mediator. Okay? So this thing is a divine law coming from the heavenly throne, broken down in man's terms to give you a chance to discipline yourself. And instead of looking at that, we began to use that as the tool of accusation for other people. Okay? Hold on, let me just get this other scripture. And this is Romans chapter 3, verse 31. What does it say? It says, do we then make void the law through faith? Well, I believe in Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior. I'm sanctified by the blood of Jesus, and I don't need to keep any law. Do we make void the law of God through faith? Romans 3 and 31, God forbid. Yea, we establish the law. That's the standard. That's the standard of how to manage your, of manage your flesh. Psalms 19, 7, and it says the law of God is perfect. So it's not uh, the law itself that's imperfect. 
It's the man himself that justifies himself by the law that's imperfect. It's the thinking that's imperfect. The law itself is perfect. And if there is a, um, a, a way to gauge how you're doing, then that's the law. Okay? Paul even said if there was a law that could make man perfect, then righteousness would have been by the law. If there was any kind of law that would make man perfect, then it would be that, that law. But it doesn't make man perfect. Predestination makes man perfect. Law helps man to manage himself. Colossians 3 and 5 says, mortify, which means what? Discipline. Therefore, your members, which is your body parts, which are upon the earth. Fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness with idolatry. You have to now look at the law and see which one of those things you're doing. There was a pastor that did a brilliant example of what the law means. And I remember clearly I was watching it on, uh, on the computer. And he came out of the audience and he had a black stain on his forehead. He had a black coal stain and he had a red cloth in his hand. And when he walked out, people said, you have a, a mark on your head. And he acted like he didn't know what. You have a mark on your head. And so he can see the mark on his own head, just like you can't see your own sin, especially if you're self-justified. So what did he do? He took a mirror, and he took the mirror, and he put the mirror up in front of his face, and he saw the mark. Well, that's what the law, as he brilliantly put it, represents. The law itself is perfect, and you use that as the mirror, and when you look at yourself in the mirror, which means comparing yourself to the law, don't compare yourself to someone else. Compare yourself to the law. Compare yourself to the standard of perfection, Christ. When he took a look in the mirror... And realized it was a stain, he brilliantly took a red handkerchief and said, this blood, this represents the blood of Christ, and he wiped off the mark. So the law helps you to recognize what you're doing. As it tells you in Romans 7, I would not know sin except it be by the law. And he took their handkerchief, which represent a red one and represent the blood of Christ, and he wiped off the mark. That's what Christ was able to do and is able to do onward and onward. Wipe off the different marks of sin that you commit against the law. Because the law is the standard that's established to show you what's right or wrong. The law is the mirror. So it says, mortify therefore, this is Colossians 1, 3 and 5, mortify therefore your members which are upon earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness with his idolatry. Romans 8 and 13 says, For if we live after the flesh, you shall die. But if you through the Spirit do mortify, which again is discipline, the deeds of the body, you shall live. Okay? So the lines are open. So far, to comment on anything that was said, 
1850. Let me hear from you. Uh, if anyone is being edified by what's being said, if anyone is being offended by what is being said, I'd like to hear from you so that we can discuss this on the Ask a Shop show. Mati, any other comment so far on what's being brought out? Yeah, I just wanted to add to the, you know, in talking about the law, and I think I brought this out in one of our other classes, I would suggest everyone to take a look at the laws, you know, and see what the laws say that we're, we are not supposed to do, and then seriously ask yourself, why are we not supposed to do this? So if they get to the reason of the why, it would make sense that it's not done away with. I give an example. If you look at things that we're not supposed to eat, pork, scavengers, all of those things, you look at the damage that, you know, pork does. If you look at the things that scavengers eat, and then we look at who our bodies actually belong to and who we actually belong to and who is in us, then we would look at it and say, okay, this is not our body. This is Christ's body. This is Christ in this body. This is his body. And he doesn't want those filthy things in it. Then it makes sense that it's not done away with. So if they would look at the laws, if you look at adultery, fornication, all of that, and look at the reason why, look at the outcome of what those type of um, acts have caused, the breakup of families, the loss of lives, over some of those things, the diseases and everything that enters. So if you look at the law and seriously ask yourself why, go into, you know, your spirit and say, okay, I wonder why he said don't do this. And if we do that, it will be a lot easier for us to say, no, that can't be done away with because I understand why he said not to do it in the first place. Because there's a purpose. God doesn't do anything without a purpose. He doesn't say anything without a purpose. So there's a purpose behind everything that he says to do and not to do. So I think we all need to understand that purpose, and then it begins to make more sense. Okay, absolutely. And so, you know, even even in that, uh, for many of the uh, believers in the Christian community, your Lord kept the law. The 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 maker of the law came down and kept the law, okay? So if he kept the law, then who are you? Galatians 4 and 4 says, but when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman made under the law. So if he was made under the law and kept it, that's what made him a blemishless lamb. If he was a blemishless lamb, he had respect for the law. He kept the Passover, and he was the Passover. Okay? He kept the law, and he was the law. Now, what about the future? Because if they say the law is done away with, that means in the future there should be no law which is also um, incorrect, is going to be a reestablishment of the law. But the sons of God and the daughters of God, they won't be under that law because they will be changed and they would be in the image of Christ. So if you're in the image of Christ, you're not going to be 
underneath the law anymore because as we've covered before, you're going to be an angel of God. The resurrected, when that day happens, when that great day, that great transformation happens, when you become an immortal again, and this is in First Corinthians chapter 15, when you put on now your immortal body, you'll be as an angel of God. There's going to be no longer the fleshly restrictions of death. There's definitely not going to be the fleshly restrictions of a job because all you're going to do day and night is the service of Christ. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 52. Matter of fact, verse 51, it says, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, which means we're not all going to die. But we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. When it says the dead shall be raised incorruptible, it's because when you uh, are in Christ, you are dead to the world. Your life is now a life that is in Christ. An example of that is Colossians 3 and verse 1. It says, If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. You're thinking, as we talked about in the beginning, that you're an ambassador of heaven. You will look at yourself as someone from a different reality. You're from the reality of the Spirit. And so you're operating as if you're a part of a divine government. You're a member or an ambassador of this divine government. You'll operate different. You're not going to be thinking, I mean, you're going to be in the world, but you're not going to be of the world. You're not going to be thinking about so much about what's happening with the Obama administration and so much of what's happening with the world. You'll understand it, but you'll understand that your existence is now and forever, and your uh, allegiance is to God. So you're going to be thinking about things of above, like all the things that's going on right now in Egypt and all parts of the world. You're going to be saying, okay, looks like the Father's preparing uh, for the deliverance of his people because that's what he promised. So that, lo that looks like what's happening now. So how do I need to position myself to deal with this transformation? But when you're in a worldly frame of mind, you're in a panic mode. Oh, my God, so, honey, what are we going to do um, if this happens here? You know, you're going to go through that type of thinking rather than the thinking of, okay, you're going to be still because the Scripture said we have an expected end. And because you have an expected end, you're going to operate uh, from the frame of mind of someone that is tied in to the heavenly order and how things are going to happen. Okay? So Colossians 3 and 1 again says, If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God, set your affections on things above, not on the things of the earth, for ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Then you're going to become an immortal being again. The law is helping you to manage yourself up until that point when you're transformed and when you're changed. So if you 
jeopardize the length of that life and the seeing of that glory because, you know, you have no respect for the written law and put it in proper perspective as a means of managing your mortal body, then you may perish perish early and then you'll be amongst the uh, the patriarchs that have to still sit and wait it out on their side of reality. They're waiting it out in heaven. You'll be waiting it out down here on earth. Okay? Revelation chapter 6, verse 9, it says, And when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, Dost thou now judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? So they're waiting in heaven saying, well, when are you going to set it off? And we're waiting on earth saying, well, when are you going to come? They're with him and have to wait. We're down here and have to wait. So if you jeopardize your time through disobedience and end up dying and having to wait up there, then so be it. You want to wait in a different area? No problem. Or you can keep yourself in order down here and wait here for the coming because there will be a great family reunion of the sons of God that have passed and the daughters of God that have passed before and the sons and daughters that are still here waiting in this dead body for the redemption from this dead body, which is the resurrection of the dead as we've covered in times past. Okay? So when it tells you here, in 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty two, in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall raise, shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. That is the dead bodies that we have been given as a punishment from Genesis chapter 3, verse 21, the coats of skins. We will be redeemed from the coats of skins into the immortal bodies just as Christ was redeemed from the coats of skin into the immortal body, showing you how it can be done. Verse 54, so when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption and this mortal shall put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. So that's ultimately where this thing is going. But prior to that, you have to manage this body, okay? And if you refuse to manage this body, as I said, no problem. You wait it out in heaven if he's pleased. He might say, no, nah, I don't want you waited out over here. You go wait over there in the hot area. Go wait in the hot area, okay? So, again, the lines are open, 424-220-1850, uh, call in. Follow us also on Twitter at Ask Kashab. That's the at symbol A S K C H A A S H A B. Or make sure you follow us on Facebook um, and put in Ask Kashab at gmail dot com to find me, and I'll be sure to add you so you can be updated on both when these discussions are happening as well as the rebroadcast. Let's go a little further in to this mortal body and see what's going on with it. Let's go into um, Romans chapter 6. And let's start from verse, from verse 7. It says, For he that is dead is freed from sin. So when you're dead in Christ, you're free from sin. Why? Because if you're dead in Christ and you're predestined, 
there's no longer any accusations. No one can accuse you, and if you slip up and you sin, you're able to go and pray through Christ for the reconciliation because it says he is the propitiation or the advocate on the behalf of the sons and daughters of God. So you take it to him, he'll take it to the Father, and your pardon comes quickly. So he that is dead in Christ is freed from sin. You can't self-justify, but he can justify, but you also are still disciplining the flesh, and we'll see further on how and how that explained, how that is explained. Verse 8, Romans 6 and 8. Now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, as we just read. When your life in Christ is, is given, when he returns, he's going to bring your life with, with him, and that's your immortal body, and then you're going to be changed, and now you're going to live with him. Everybody, anybody, no. The elect, they will live with him. Here's a snapshot into when that happens. This is Revelations chapter 22. Here's a quick snapshot. I'm not going to go too uh, far into this, but here's a snapshot of how it's going to be. And as Amathia brilliantly brought out, this is for those whose names are already written in the book. If your name is written in the book, that means that you're predestined to be changed and become like a Christ. But then you will be one of his priests within his divine government. This is Revelations 22, 3, and it says, And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. You will be one of those uh, if your name was already written. It says, And they shall see his face, and his name shall be in their foreheads. And there shall be no night there, and they shall have no need of candle, neither light of the sun, for the Lord giveth them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. So that's the glory of uh, live with him, reign forever and ever, okay? Not everyone, okay? The sons and daughters of God or the sons of God, not everyone. There's an order. Does that take away from everyone else? No, because everyone else will also be able to serve God, but they will be in order. They will be a priestly body, not today's priest. You know, I'm not taking anything away from anyone that's trying to edify but you can't ordain yourself. And theology school cannot ordain you. You are ordained by being a predestined son of God. Everyone else is just acting. If you're not called of God, you're just acting. You're just getting money from the people. This is not um, a self-ordained theology school. You could break down uh, some information. This is divinely given. So what happened to the other people, the other nations? They have an order and they have a place within this. That can be seen in Revelation 21, verse 22. It says, And I saw no temple there, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple. And the city have no need of the sun, neither of the moon. Especially for those who's keeping uh, Sabbaths by moon, there's not going to be a sun and moon. Then how are you going to keep your Sabbath? Like I said in one of our discussions, the Sabbath of God, that Sabbath day is almost like saying wedding day. That Sabbath day is a day when all this is done and you're in your rest. When you receive your immortal body, you are in your rest. Prior to that, you're not resting. You're only rehearsing. To build on that also, 
If it says that God rested from all his works on the seventh day, that means on the eighth day he didn't pick up and start working again. So the rest of the Lord is a permanent rest. And that permanent rest or that Sabbath day is a day, the crowning ceremony when you receive your immortal body. Other than that, any other Sabbath that's being kept is a rehearsal, which is nice, great for the flesh, but you're not justified. Revelations 21, verse 22, And I saw no temple therein, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. And the city have no need of the sun, neither of the moon, to shine in it. For the glory of the power of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. And the nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it. So you have the preordained and the elect, the priests of God, Christ as the uh, ruler, the elect as the governing body, and then the nations and everyone learning of God through the elect. Sounds beautiful. Everyone is accounted for. Now, if you're mad about that and you don't want it to be in order, um, then you should be rebelling against the current order that you're in right now in this world because the present order in this world is totally, absolutely wicked and backwards. And what do you do? You succumb and you uh, tolerate it. So if you cannot tolerate there being order in the future government, then you should be in outrage at the present government that oppresses you and that has you living paycheck to paycheck and that is taking you and jumping you through all these hoops of fire and still you have no rest. So that's something to think about for all those that are in opposition to the future government and the order that it will be in. You should be in outrage right now. You know, don't be a partial person in outrage. Be a full-blown, just person in outrage. Revelations 21, verse 24, And the nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it, and the kings of the earth do bring their glory and honor into it. So they pay homage. They pay homage, both in appearance and they bring whatever type of, uh, of, of collection. This is the tenth part. Just like right now, you willingly take your tenth part to the priest who may or may not be ordained of God, the nations will take their tenth part of whatever is collected and gathered throughout the world, and they will bring it and pay homage and honor to the uh, access into life. And the nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it, and the kings of the earth do bring their glory and honor into it. And the gates of it shall not be shut at all by day, for there shall be no night there, and they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. And there shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth, neither whatsoever maketh an abomination or maketh a lie, but they that are written in the Lamb's book of life. The only people that will be allowed to dwell in it, which is the temple of God, are those who are written in the book of life. Other than that, you can come and you can learn and you can bring your portion, but just like how everyone could not enter in to the holiest of them all when the physical tabernacle was established, everyone cannot enter into the holiest of them all for real, which would be the temple of God. You have to stay without, which is the tabernacle. You have to stay in the outer area, but you cannot enter into the inner, inner court because that area is reserved for the priest of God. So, you know, thank God if you make it. Right? Thank God if we make it. Thank God if I make it. Because none of us are guaranteed, uh, as far as I see, 
Uh, this information is going out so that the sons and daughters of God can wake up and hear this and act accordingly so that they can be saved and speed this process up. Because really, the only thing that's being uh, halted right now that's causing this thing not to uh, unfold is because the sons of God and the daughters of God are not all fully awoken. That's all. So the establishment of God's kingdom is only waiting for the uh, waking up the sons and daughters of God. And once that's done, it's done. And as they say uh, out there in the world, then it's on. Okay? Uh, the proof of that is Revelation uh, chapter 7 and verse 2. It says, And I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God, and he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was given to hurt the earth and the sea. They were given, and they have a charge on the four corners of the earth to set it off, set it off, saying, hurt not the earth, neither the sea, nor the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads. And we just read in Revelation 22 that these have the mark of God in their foreheads. So it's only waiting for the seal of the mark of God to be put in the foreheads uh, of the sons and daughters of God, and once that happens, once the governing body is sealed, then it's on. And this was also prophesied in Ezekiel, and one of the characteristics of the sons and daughters of God or the future immortals, one of the characteristics is that when they see the things being done in the earth, they sigh and they cry. They're not with it, and they're not justifying it. They just sigh because that inner man, that inner spirit within the sons and daughters of God, are disgusted with the things that are seen in the earth. Even if they don't have this full-blown knowledge, they just see certain things and they are just disgusted with it, even in their ignorance to their maker. Okay? So what does he say in Ezekiel? He told the angel uh, in Ezekiel 9, verse 4, it says, And the Lord said unto him, Go through the midst of the city, through the midst of Jerusalem, and set a mark upon the foreheads of the men, that sigh and that cry for all the abominations that be done in the midst of it. Those men that have the seal cry and sigh for the abominations that are done in the, in the earth. If you're not sighing and crying, if you're not outraged, that means that you are in a deep slumber or you yourself are not called to the liberty uh, of, of God. You're not called uh, for this, because you have to see something wrong. If you don't see something wrong, something is wrong with you. Okay? What about the other people that didn't receive the mark from the angel in their foreheads? It says, and to the other he said in my hearing, go ye after him through the city and smite, which means to destroy. Let not your eyes spare, neither have pity. Because if something within you is an outrage, with the atrocities that's being done in the earth, and you don't feel any kind of groaning or disappointment um, in your spirit, that means that you're in sync with the other side, the other force, which is demonic. So he says, smite, because what? The earth that's to come is not going to share power with evil. There's going to be no more evil, and there's not going to be any more uh, uh, advocates of evil. So he says, and to the others, he said in my ear, this is all talking to the angel, go after him through the city and smite. Let not your eyes spare, neither have pity. 
slay utterly old and young, both maid and little children and women, but come not near any man upon whom is the mark, and begin at my sanctuary, then they began at the ancient men which were before the house. So this, you know, this is how it's going to go down, that he's going to start at the sanctuary of God for those who don't have the mark that are acting and faking and maybe keeping laws and all those different things, but their hearts is disconnected. There's no integrity. There's no real connection. They're not sighing. They're just camouflage, chameleons. You can't hide because he knows who is his and who isn't his. Okay? So those uh, are those that are going to receive the mark, and those that have the mark will reign with Christ. And those that don't have the mark that are willing to humble themselves and be obedient will learn of God and will come and be able to give homage and pay homage and live under a righteous governance. Okay? Prior to that, in this time, you have to keep yourselves, okay, as we're reading in Romans chapter 6. So let's go back to that. So it says here in Romans 6, verse 10, for he that is, for he, for in that he died, he died, I'm sorry, verse 9, knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more. Death hath no more dominion over him. Likewise, the sons of God that are raised immortal, in Luke 20, verse 36, it says, Neither can they die anymore, for they are equal unto the angels and are the children of God, being the children of the resurrection. So when Christ comes and gives you your body, you're going to be considered the child of the resurrection. And being considered the child of the resurrection, death no longer has power over you. And if death no longer has power over you, then you're then no longer under management of mortals. You're now an immortal. So you're now governed according to the laws of the spirit. You're free from the laws of the flesh. You're governed by the laws of the spirit. That's the rehearsal that we need to be doing right now. You need to act in mind as if you're under the laws of the spirit because that will keep you from not only the actions of sin but also the thought of sin. And if you claim to be under the laws of the Spirit, then you will be in constant prayer because your mind is always under attack trying to suggest to you sinful thoughts. So although you may not perform the sinful thoughts, a person that is under the laws of the Spirit is guilty when he thinks sinful thoughts. So, you know, you graduated into the, into the Spirit, but now you're accountable to a higher order than mortal men. But while we're mortal men, we manage ourselves through the written ordinance. I hope that's clear. So Romans 6 and 9, again, knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more, death has no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once. But in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. And that's where we would be when we are changed. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves, verse 11, Romans 6 and 11, to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that you should, be, that you should obey it in the lust thereof. So don't let sin reign in your mortal bodies. Why? 
because you have a law that helps you to manage that. If you don't want to implement the law, then you need to implement the spirit. Either way, whether through written law or through the spirit, just make sure you're not going off and cause the wrath of God to come and stretch from the heavens and knock some sense into you. Okay? Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies that you should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourself unto God as those that are alive from the dead. So begin to act like an immortal. Put on your angelic mentality. Whatever is good for an angel is good enough for you. If you're instructed and you're told by the Spirit to move a certain way, don't hesitate. That's how the angels move. They holy, 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 holy. That's all they're saying up there. And whatever the Father say, when he, when he asks for someone to do something, they're on point and rushing to see who can fulfill his will. If you're going to be an immortal, start to think like an immortal. Put on the thought of an angelic human being. But if you can't do that and you can't really see it, because the scripture said without vision the people perish, you might not be able to really see what that means, then just keep yourself in order and keep yourself in prayer and keep your ears open so you can be instructed. Okay? However you decide to do it, whether through the spirit or through the law, just make sure you're doing it. What they're teaching out there in the world is that you can just uh, puff yourself up against the law. Ah, keeping no law justified by Jesus Christ. See, that's different. See, one is you're graduating up into the spirit. The other one is that you're graduating. You're not. Even, you're being left back, and you're going backwards. You're going into further flesh, further justification. And so now the wrath of God can reach you because wherein you're being told, use the law of the spirit to not eat things that's contrary to God, to not do things contrary to God and live as an immortal and an angel of God, they're telling you, you don't have to do that because Jesus Christ is your ticket to sin. That is erroneous. And that is what we need to uh, relinquish from our thoughts. Get rid of that because that thinking is death. And that thinking yields you to use your members, your body parts, as instruments of sin. Romans 6.13, neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall have no dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. And as I covered earlier, if you're predestined, then he's giving you that uh, immunity or have not imputed sin onto you. You don't know. So until he makes it uh, emphatically clear to you that you have gotten that immunity, you need to be keeping on yourself. Okay? Verse 15, what then? Shall we sin? Because we are not under the law, but under grace? God forbid. Know ye not 
to whom you yield yourselves, servants, to obey, his servants you are to whom you obey, whether of sin unto death or obedience unto righteousness. You leave the law of God and you go into the world because someone told you you're justified through Christ. Now you're subject to that someone that told you you're justified through Christ because you have to keep inquiring to them on things when you do them. So say, for example, you decide that you could eat whatever you want and you decide that you're going to uh, have a lobster fest and suddenly your whole face swell up, you have to inquire to that person that you have subject yourself under, but why is my face swollen? You can't even say it properly. But why is my face swollen? Your face is swollen because whoever you yielded yourself unto, his servants who you are, so you have to inquire to him. But if you would have inquired of the law, which is the mirror, it would tell you you can't do that and prevent yourself from... uh, the repercussions, okay? But if you decide to not do it, it is written, and so you must deal with the consequences. Romans 6.16 again, Know ye not to whom you yield yourself servants to obey, his servants you are to whom you obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered onto you. Being then made free from sin, you became the servants of righteousness. Just like we read in Revelations 22, it said that they became the servants of Christ. When you're a predestined son, you will uh, operate as an angel of God and become a servant of righteousness rather than a servant of sin. Verse on in verse 19 says, I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh, for you have yielded your members servant to uncleanness and to iniquity unto iniquity. Even so now yield your members servants to righteousness unto holiness. For when you were the servants of sin, you were free from righteousness. What fruit have you then in those things which you are now ashamed the things that you're doing contrary to God, aren't you ashamed? I know all of us. I, I'm ashamed. I'm talking about when you're doing things that you know are wrong. Secretly. Don't you feel that cut in your heart? When you feel that cut in your heart, that means you're actually alive. Because if you don't feel anything, that means you're totally dead. When you feel that, you repent. You get right. The scripture says that he that knoweth to do good and doeth not to him it is sin. You may be totally blind, never read these scriptures, but you know when something is wrong because the compass within you tells you, you know you can't do that. And it yields you to want to do right. You look at the law, it shows you the standard. From the sincerity of the heart, you keep it, and then you'll be a servant of righteousness. Verse 21 again, what fruit then? Which means what came out of it? Someone told you that you didn't have to keep the law. You decided now, okay, cool. I was looking for an excuse. You went ahead and had the lobster fest. The lobster fest swells your face up. So what fruit then have you in those things which you are now ashamed? Because you have to go now and you look lumped up and you have to go now with a swollen face trying to show through the scriptures that you're justified with a swollen face 
what what fruit came out of that? Aren't you ashamed? What if it doesn't show up now, but it shows up later? Okay. Are you exempt because it doesn't show up? As Matthew brought out earlier, the marks are there. The marks are there. You may uh, get your crown taken because you allowed yourself to be seduced by a doctrine that tells you you don't have to uh, give homage, whether through the spirit or through the flesh. You don't have to give homage to your maker by being obedient. Don't let anyone seduce you. Whether through the law or through the spirit, the whole point is to be righteous. Okay? Read that again. Verse 21. For what fruit have you then in those things wherein you are now ashamed? For the end of these things is death. But now being made free from sin and become servants to God, you have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. How do you get that gift? That gift is already predestined and preordained from the beginning. It's either you were written on the list or you're not. And for those who are not written on the list, through those who are written on the list, you can hear the word and be saved. John 17 explains that. John 17, he speaks about, John 17 speaks about those who are predestined, who are, were the fathers, and who are adopted into Christ. John 17, verse 1, it says, These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes onto heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy son that thy son may also glorify thee as thou hast given him power over all flesh that he shall give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And this is life eternal that they might know thee, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. Prior to that, knowing him has been blocked out. Because if you're trying to serve him in flesh, you don't know him. You only know him when you serve in the spirit and truth. He says, I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou hast given me to do. And now, O Father, glorify me with thine own self, with the glory which I have with thee before the world was. I have manifested thy name unto the men whom thou hast given me out of the world. Thine they are, thine they were. And thou gavest me them me, and they shall keep thy word. He goes on. I'm going to skip on down to verse 9. I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. Those are the predestined. Those are the sons of God. He said, I pray for them. I don't pray for the world. Some may get offended in that. No, he came for everyone. Even the Jews who... Uh, of his family in the flesh. Some of them that didn't believe, he told them, you are not of my flock. You are not of my sheep. That's John ten twenty four. Then the Jews came, then came the Jews round about him and said unto him, how long dost thou make us doubt? If thou be the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you believe not. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear, bear witness of me. But ye believe not, because you are not of my sheep. As I said unto you, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I gave unto them eternal life, 
and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. Showing a distinction even between the Jews, whom we call the chosen, even the Jews, he was saying, amongst the Jews, all of you all aren't of my sheep because all of you don't believe. So much less the rest of the world, if they don't believe, aren't of his sheep and aren't predestined and are elect. This is not an everybody thing. However, it can be if the protocol is followed. Let's go back to John 17. He says, I pray for them. Same thing he was telling the Jews or the Pharisees. Back in John 10, I pray for these guys over here. I don't pray for the world. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou gave me, for they are thine. And all mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified. What? In them. Those are the ones that I call Christ in. You know, I say Christian. These are the ones that's Christ in, because Christ is in them through the Holy Spirit. These. John seventeen twenty says, neither pray I for these alone. So some people stop right there. See? He doesn't just pray for them. Listen to what he says. But for them which also shall believe on me through their word. Because if Christ is in the pre preordained, pre determined, then when the predetermined speaks the word that word that is spoken becomes the baptism that changes the life of people. You deny those that Christ that are in, you deny Christ. You deny life, and you are still under mortality management, and you will die in mortality management. This thing was not a brand new thing. It was prophesied in Isaiah chapter 60 concerning those who Christ will be in a.k.a. the future immortals, a.k.a. the 144,000, a.k.a. the stars of heaven, a.k.a. the elect. You can call it, there's a whole bunch of a.k.a.s. They call them holy angels, all kinds of names for these individuals. These individuals are the ones to whom the world will receive the light. Because prior to that, the whole world was in darkness. Isaiah 60, verse 2. It says, Behold, the darkness shall cover the earth and gross darkness the people. So everybody in the world is in darkness, and then the people of God are in darkness, even the sons of God are in darkness, until what? But the Lord shall arise upon thee, and his glory shall be seen upon thee. That's when the Holy Spirit enters in to those who Christ are in. And what happens when they speak the words? It says, and the Gentiles shall come to thy light and the kings to the brightness of thy rising. Because when the words are spoken now from those who Christ are in, then now the others can be woken up and then Christ can pray for them. Okay? Prior to that, the scripture says you're alienated from the, uh, from the commonwealth. You're alienated from the body. Okay? Quick example of that is when Peter went to Cornelius... And when he was giving them the whole story, this is Acts chapter 11. I'm not going to go into the whole story, but this is just when he was explaining. He said, um, verse 15, And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them 
as unto us at the beginning. Talking about Cornelius and his household. Then remembered I the words of the Lord, how that he said, John indeed baptized with water, but ye shall baptize with the Holy Spirit. Shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. For as much then as God gave them the like gift as he did us who believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, what was I that I could withstand God? He's saying, when I spoke the words and they received the Spirit, what can I say? I'm a Jew. Here's a Gentile receiving the Spirit. What can I say? So the life once received, uh, the immortal life or the immortal you once received, when you speak, if you are one of the predestined, you will give life to the people around you. Okay? So this is why we call the law mortality management, because the law, when you look at it from the whole vast picture of what we spoke about today, the law... It doesn't give you uh, that immortality. It just helps you to keep yourself from missing out on that immortality. It just helps you to discipline your members that are on earth. But the immortality that we speak about is a gift. You can't give yourself a gift. So until we that are in this mortal body receive our immortal body, until we receive that, we need to keep ourselves disciplined using the law as a means of managing our flesh. If you believe that makes you righteous because you're managing your flesh through the divine law, more power to you. But when this ceremony happens in Ephesians 1, when the family reunion happens and you happen to not be there, then I guess you will know for sure if you are uh, justified or not. This is Ephesians chapter 1, and this is the ceremony of the children of God being gathered together. Ephesians chapter 1, start from verse 9, it says, Having now, having made known unto us the mystery of his will, obviously no, everyone doesn't know it, according to his good pleasure which he has proposed in himself, that in the in the dispensation of the fullness of times, when all of this is wrapped up, when we're entering into our official rest, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven, the ones that passed and are waiting to be uh, united and ruling on the earth, those which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him. So he's going to unite in one the sons of God that have passed, what we call martyrs and patriarchs, and the sons of God that are on earth. And that change, when we meet them, we're going to be angels of God. It goes on to say in verse 11, in whom also he have obtained and inheritance being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will, that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ, in whom ye all trusted after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of salvation, 
in whom after that you have believed were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. So hopefully as this word goes out, it seals the sons of God. It seals the daughters of God with the Holy Spirit of promise, takes you from out of the prison of your flesh, puts you in a mental um, uh, re, re, uh, resurrection, and then puts you in a place where you're waiting for the redemption of your body so you're a full-blown, real, bona fide immortal. That's what we're talking about. Now, if you're keeping the dead works and you figure you're keeping the dead works better than everyone, you know, that's good for you. But that's not the glory of the king. Okay? I'll read this and then I'll open up the lines for any closing comments. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1. Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God, of the doctrine of baptism, of laying on the hands, and of the resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. And this will we do if God permit. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted of the good word of God and the powers of the world to come, if they shall fall away to renew them again unto repentance, seeing they crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to an open shame. So after you receive and understand this word and any other uh, discourse about the uh, real world, the world of the immortals, the future world, if you take that and you go back into foolishness, that means that you taken this gift and you've taken this promise and you uh, taken put no value to it and crucify Christ again through your action. Don't let it happen. Okay? What's being said is very important and it is life um, if you can receive it. So I'm going to open up the lines, 424-220-1850, for any closing comments, uh, for anyone that has something to add to the conversation. Um, Of course, I'm going to start with Amathia. Amathia, any closing comments on anything that was said or anything you'd like to share with the audience as we wind down the last few minutes? Mm -hmm. Um, Yes, as I was listening... I the only thing that kept crossing my mind is that this is just, you know, for those who are, are predestined and those who have the potential. Um, just another great demonstration of the love that the Father has for us to do this for us. So I go into a mode of thankfulness because it is a, another great demonstration of love. And even for our forefathers who are with him asking the same question, okay, how long? That's even a demonstration of love that they have for us because they're definitely in a better position than we are, but they're still demonstrating love for us as well, wanting us to be delivered from this as well. So as I always say, everything goes back to love for me. So that's what I walk away with is that demonstration that the Father has once again shown us. Okay. And amen to that. All right. Any other comments, 424-220-1850? Any questions, anything that is not clear, um, as always, you can always send us an email as well um, if you're shy um, at askkashab at gmail.com. That's A-S-K-C-H-A-A-S-H-A-B at gmail.com. 
uh, feel free to send any questions there. Uh, the reason why it's better to do it on the air is because, you know what, someone else may have um, the same question, and it can be edifying. Um, via email, um, pretty much only one person is edified, um, and not that that's of any um, insignificance, but it would be nice um, if you have a question that other people can be edified as well. Um, so once again, 424-220-1850, we'll leave the lines open for any questions or comments um, that can be made to the audience. Line 2646, area code. you have a yeah, comment I, or a question? Yeah, I got a question in a kind of a way. Um, okay. So since predestination means that you're chosen, right, and there's only a set chosen people, then what happens to the people that's not chosen or that's not predestinated? Because obviously right. what you're saying is that no matter what a person does, if they're not chosen, they can't make it into the kingdom of heaven. So. Right. Well, that, well, let me answer that part first. The first part is the, the predestined, um, the predestined are those that are predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ. They're going to be like Christ. They're going to be the priest of, of, of Christ. So that predestination isn't um, something that excludes every and anyone else from being able to uh, participate in the future world. It just means that they would not be participating as a ruler or as a Christ in that future world. But like I read in Revelations 20, um, I don't know if you were able to hear that part of it, but Revelations 21, uh, verse 24, it says, And the nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it, and the kings of the earth do bring the glory and honor into it, and the gates of it shall not be shut at all by night, for they shall be no night there, and they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. They're going to pay tribute, just like how the children of Israel uh, were not all priests at that time. They were the Levites. They were the priests. They did the office of God. The elect, or the sons of God, the predestined, will be the priests of the world, and everyone else in the world will bring and pay homage. And then the children of Israel um, will also be... Uh, they won't all be priests, but they will be separated from the nations and the world. But it's like three different levels. It's going to be the priests, the children of Israel, and then the world that will be bringing homage. So that's what will happen to them. But the wicked, if that's the part of the question, the wicked, both of the children of Israel and of the world, they're going to be destroyed. And so that's how that's going to be. There's not going to be any place for that, uh, for the wicked. Um, so hopefully that answers that part of the question. Okay, so now now you open up a three-fold format. So I just I just tapped in, so you know, clarify your point for me. So now you said the priests of God, then you said the children of Israel, and then mm -hmm. you said the nation. You're saying is that the right. children of Israel? I'm just asking the question. Are you saying that right. the children of Israel not going to be the priests of God, or is there going to be different priests of God? Which one? How is that going to go down according to you? Well, the elect, the elect, and the sons of God are coming from amongst the children of Israel, but not all the children of Israel are going to be of that elect. And it tells you that in Romans. And also, when I read John, he was showing. Listen, he said to the Jews that didn't believe on him, "You are not of my sheep." So. In that point, all of the children of Israel, everyone that is Israel, just because they're Israel, doesn't mean that they're a son of God. The, the, the sons of God are amongst the children of Israel, 
but all the children of Israel are not sons. And to uh, prove that, it tells you this in Romans uh, chapter 9, verse 4, when Paul was talking about those that are of his flesh, he said, who are Israelites, to whom pertain the adoption and the glory and the covenant and the giving of the law and the service of God and the promises who are the fathers and of whom concerning the flesh, concerning the flesh Christ came, who is over all, God bless it forever, amen. Then he goes and interjects and says, not as though the word of God had not taken effect, for they are not all Israel which are of Israel. So everybody that's Israel isn't of Israel. Because you're going to have something that says, well, I'm Abraham's seed. Well, being Abraham's seed is good, but being Abraham's seed does not mean that you're going to believe. And we know that because the Pharisees did not believe, and that's why Christ had to tell them, you're not of my, of my sheep because you don't believe in me. So even today, modern day, we have children of Israel who don't believe in Christ. And so because you don't believe, you cannot enter into life because you have shut the door to life, which is Christ. So that's probably, we only have one minute, and we could probably get more into that and probably do a, um, a, a discussion that says um, the difference between the children of Israel and the sons of God. And that may have to be a future discussion where we can actually go into it. But just for quick clarity, the children of, the sons of God are in the children of Israel, but all the children of Israel are not the sons of God. Just like you may be... Uh, uh, you may have ten brothers and sisters, and all of them are not going to serve God, but they all come from the same mother and father. Okay, so we're going to more into that, and I wish I could answer more, but we only have ninety seconds to go. Um, but we will do a discussion on that. The difference between the children of Israel and the sons of God, and we'll do that um, in one of the in one of the future discussions which should be a great topic. And I invite all of the children of Israel and all the sons of God to participate. Okay. With the last 60 seconds, I wanted to thank you all for participating in the Ask a Shop show. Um, I hope that what was said has been received with love and with truth and not with offense. And I invite you all uh, to, uh, to participate in our future discussions uh, so that it can be edifying to everyone. And as always, God bless. Enjoy the rest of your day, and we'll speak soon. I was looking lost, but you see that I am found. Got my Bible in my hand, cast demons to the ground. Now it's time for me to influence the people I'm around. We on Christ's side now, guarantee it's going down.